previously on Flying the Line. Amidst a changing world and political climate, Alpa's first president is forced to leave the leadership of the labor union he founded. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Abridged from the book, Flying the Line, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 16, The Saiyan Style, Part 1. Was the rise of Clancy Saiyan to become Alpa's president an accident? In a sense, Saiyan was a victim of the banky ouster. As Alpa's executive vice president, second in the administrative structure when the association's first leader was dethroned, Saiyan was almost obligated to pick up the pieces. Nobody else could. There's absolutely no evidence that he sought Banky's job, that he played anything other than an inadvertent part in the successful coup against Banky, or that he was ever anything but a perfectly loyal Alpa employee. But the legacy of the Banky ouster, bad feelings, legal expenses and lawsuits, some of which weren't finally settled until 1958, inevitably fell to Saiyan. Such a legacy was a pity, for Saiyan had a history of achievement in every field he entered, whether it was education, politics, or flying. Had he not chosen to leave Braniff temporarily for the new Alpa executive vice presidency in 1949, he no doubt would have been promoted captain, risen steadily in Alpa affairs, and eventually become a formidable contender for the presidency in his own right. These things were already apparent by 1949. That's why Banky chose him. Clarence Nicholas Clancy Sayan came out of the Michigan forests, the son of a lumberjack who had never benefited from an education. However, his father permitted Sayan to continue in school when he might have easily insisted that Clancy go to work to help support the family. Sayan's boyhood was rigorous, but it included lots of hunting and fishing, things any healthy boy who didn't live in the North Woods might have envied. The only untoward incident of his idyllic youth came when he was ten years old. The first two-thirds of his right index finger were lopped off in an accident. It proved to be no handicap. Saiyan went on to become a standout high school athlete. After graduating in 1936, his path seemed to lead directly to college. But the need for a job, and perhaps a bit of post-adolescent desire for adventure, led him aboard a Great Lakes steamboat instead. By the time the gales of December swept across those inland seas, Saiyan had gotten his fill of that life, and he was off to college. He played football, basketball, and baseball at Northern Michigan University in Marquette. But he was no mere jock. Sayan also wrote regularly for the school newspaper, maintained a solid A average in his courses, and developed what would prove to be a lifelong taste for the academic life. Upon graduation, he married his college sweetheart, Marjorie Alvord, 
and set off to make what everybody assumed would be a considerable mark on the world. Dark, intense, and articulate, carrying his 180 pounds on a compact six-foot frame, Clancy Sayan looked like a winner. Sayan's career as an airline pilot was short. He started to work for Braniff in June 1944 after learning to fly in the civilian pilot training program. Before going with Braniff, he had put in a stint as a flight instructor for a local flight school in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It was a significant period in Sayan's life, for he was discovering what he liked best, teaching. His students were naval aviation cadets, mostly older men who had already attended college. Sayan liked the contact with them and liked the atmosphere of the classroom, even if it was the cockpit of a trainer. While flying co-pilot for Braniff, Sayan earned a graduate degree in geography and climatology at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. To write his master's thesis, Commercial Aviation in South America, Sayan also studied economics at the graduate level and taught himself Spanish. He was an impressive graduate student, the kind senior professors like. He seemed more a colleague than a student. Academics prized Sayan's ability to communicate clearly in writing. His article, Commercial Aviation in Texas, published in Texas Geographic Magazine in 1946, was a model of research and clear expository writing. So, while working full-time for Braniff, Sayan was already establishing himself as a person of rare academic promise. His department chairman at Southern Methodist University hired him as a lecturer in 1946, and for the next two years, Clancy Sayan scheduled his trips around a classroom assignment teaching undergraduate meteorology courses. By 1947, Clancy Sayan faced a major career decision. He had found a home, both emotionally and intellectually, in the university, but he obviously could not pursue a full-time career in college teaching unless he quit flying. The geography department at his university would schedule evening classes for him because he was so promising, but they could not accommodate him forever. To rise in academic life, Sayan would have to pursue a doctoral degree, a demanding full-time course of studies that would require as long as four years. Sayan liked flying. His fellow pilots thought highly of him. And although the money wasn't all that good for a co-pilot in 1947, it was already better than the salaries of some professors. Sayan was 28 years old, and he didn't know whether to follow his heart or his pocketbook. Perhaps this dilemma explains why Sayan began devoting himself to ALPA work on the local level. It was kind of a halfway house between the academic work and flying. He was elected co-pilot representative in 1946, attended the convention in 1947, and began attracting considerable attention. The other delegates noticed Sayan largely because he almost single-handedly picked apart one of Banky's pet projects, a pilot's amendment to the Railway Labor Retirement Act. Banky had been slow to move on pensions, 
For many years, his favorite rationale for high salaries for pilots was that flying was so dangerous and the physical requirements were so exacting that no airline pilot was likely to survive to anything like a normal retirement age. Banky had often expressed the opinion that nobody could continue flying much beyond the age of 40. By the late 1930s, this thinking was already obsolete. Many people over 40 flew, people for whom retirement was becoming something more than just an abstraction. Alpa had no retirement policy at all until the 1946 convention met belatedly in February 1947. Banky argued strongly for inclusion in the Federal Rail Workers Plan, which would require a fixed monthly payment and was, in effect, a tax like Social Security. A pilot would have no residual interest in the federal pension system. Dealing with a consultant named Murray Latimer, who was apparently connected to the Railroad Brotherhood's pension system, Banky introduced the idea to a mixed reaction. The nation was reeling under the first round of high inflation that was triggered by the government's dismantling of the wartime system of price and wage controls. Because of this economic climate, a federally guaranteed fixed pension plan, like the one Banky favored, had severe drawbacks. Young Sayan spelled out these drawbacks and was so persuasive that the convention voted to put off further consideration of the Banky Latimer plan, although there were funds set aside to hire a pension expert to study the question. It was at this same convention that saw the first major challenge to Banky's leadership and the creation of the new office of executive vice president, much against Banky's will. Quite naturally, a few senior thought leaders were eyeing the available talent for this office. Some members were pushing Sayan for the new executive vice presidency after 1947. As we saw already, Banky opposed the creation of the new office and dragged his feet filling it. William Kilgore's temporary appointment, which began in March 1947, lasted over two years. It wasn't until May 1949 that Banky finally chose Sayan from a large field that included several people who had been nominated but had no interest whatsoever in serving. Sayan desperately wanted the job. He was bored with being a co-pilot. Braniff wasn't growing. And Sayan wanted to work temporarily at what he hoped would be a more intellectually challenging job. He expected several more years as a co-pilot, and he hoped to spend at least a couple of them doing something more interesting than grinding back and forth between Dallas and Chicago in the right seat of a DC-6B. In early 1948, he had even applied for a federal government position. After a considerable hassle with Braniff, which wanted to allow him only a three-month leave of absence, Sayan got permission to work for ALPA for one year. In August 1949, Sayan arrived in Chicago to assume his duties on a probationary basis at a salary of $8,000 a year, a step up from the $4,500 per year with Braniff. 
Banky's inability to delegate authority was infamous. Still, Alpa was becoming so big that he simply couldn't do everything himself, no matter how hard he tried. So Banky found himself leaning more and more on Saiyan, particularly for the routine things he didn't like to do. Saiyan rapidly developed into a capable executive assistant, working closely with Wally Anderson, who was well-experienced. Together, Saiyan and Anderson began a quiet revolution of efficiency in such mundane areas as bookkeeping and the routine announcements and mailings to the councils. Banky took a great personal liking to Saiyan as the months passed. He often called Saiyan into his office for educational talks. Although some people might have regarded these chat sessions as a waste of time, for Banky, they were therapeutic. By February 1951, Banky was writing letters of high praise to Saiyan, informing him of his re-election to the executive vice presidency. Saiyan had cast his lot totally with Alpa by this point, formally resigning from Braniff. His presence accounted for much of Alpa's effectiveness as Banky declined in his final months. The Banky ouster was very hard on Saiyan. He was living on a shoestring, frequently supported by his friends because Alpa's finances were tied up in the courts. He also had to deal with Dave Banky's contempt. There is ample evidence that Saiyan was fond of Banky and was hurt when Banky tried to blame Saiyan's alleged personal ambition for the ouster. Saiyan was hurt less because the allegations were untrue than because Banky was obviously a man who needed help, both psychologically and physically. But there was nothing Saiyan or anybody else could do to reach Banky. So Saiyan concentrated on fixing the association, negotiating contracts, and settling grievances. There is some evidence that Saiyan stayed with Alpa at this point only out of a sense of obligation. He was 32 in 1951 and obviously still interested in other career choices. His file of personal correspondence bulged with letters to his former professors, both at Northern Michigan and at Southern Methodist, in a wistful tone that indicated his career uncertainty. The lure of academic life was strong for him, and he was always ready to volunteer as a guest lecturer. Next time on Flying the Line. The association's second president fights for respect as new technologies raise old questions about compensation and workload for pilots. Thank you for listening. This has been part one of chapter 16 of Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 1982. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Production copyright ALPA 2020. All rights reserved.